good morning. I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, the next couple of weeks we want to spend in this little passage here as just a really a glimmer of hope that we've sung about today, just in preparation for uh, celebrating Christ's birth. Isaiah chapter 9. Begin reading in verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious for, or by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nations. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. As with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. You will, for you shall break the yoke of the of their burden and the staff uh, on their shoulder the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of midian for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult the cloak rolled in blood will be burnt for burning fuel for the fire for a child will be born to us A son will be given to us and the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this word, this prophecy from the Old Testament written many, many years before the birth of Christ. Lord, we thank you for this glimmer of hope. We pray that you bless our time, Lord, together in your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to be together uh, by live streaming. We thank you for those who are listening. And we just pray that you would be glorified and that you would be honored and that there would be clarity to your word in this particular passage and that you would speak to us through this word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week, um, we've had some encouragement. We saw the distribution of the coronavirus vaccine. We saw the, the UPS trucks as they've carted, you know, taken them down the road and distributed them and delivered them. And that's, that doesn't mean this whole ordeal is over, but that is a, a glimmer of hope. Right? We see a path forward. We see that, that maybe this thing will come to an end at some point. We can put this year behind us and everything can get back to normal. 
We're able to tell our COVID-19 stories. We can buy the t-shirt and say that we survived. We can have our mask burning parties. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Be able to shake hands and, and get close to one another again. And we look forward to that. We can finally remove this cloud, this COVID cloud from over our head. But not yet. It's not yet. It's just a, a glimmer of hope. Someday we, we see the light at the end of the tunnel and that gives us an, a little bit of hope. And we can, we can then endure. We realize that we can endure to the end. We, we, can, we can see the end and, and we can think we can make it to that point. Our hope, I want you to notice, that our hope is fueled by that vaccine. And so we persevere. We persevere. Now, that's just an illustration. It's an example. Because as Christians, we're called to persevere in this Christian life. We're called to overcome. We're called to persist uh, as, as Christians. We're called to, in our walk with God, we're, we're called to, to work hard toward godliness and to, to, to be eagerly looking for Christ's return and we're called to endure. And that's not an easy thing to do, right? We realize that. It's not an easy easy thing that, that's hard to, to maintain a godly perspective. And we can we can get discouraged for a lot of different reasons, but we can get discouraged. We see the world around us just in a spiritual decline. We see the success of of unrighteous people. And that causes us to be discouraged. Of course, we've been isolated from each other as well. It causes discouragement. We we begin to think, well, maybe nobody cares. Is is there anybody out there that, that even cares? And we begin to think, why be faithful to church? Why be faithful to our reading of Scripture and studying of Scripture? Why persist in this, this Christian life? It doesn't seem like anybody else cares and it really doesn't matter. And we can begin to treat the, the Christian life as shallow as some, even as the world would just treat some other religion. But we're called to persist. We're called to persevere. And the older I get, I'm beginning to realize what perseverance takes. I mean, the fact that we have to persevere, the fact that we have to be patient and persist, but, but what it takes to persevere. We have to have, it comes down really to the one word, and, and that, is, that is hope. We have to have hope. It's really a mental game. What we tell ourselves. Um, Scripture calls us to speak the truth to even to ourselves. We speak the truth to one another. We speak the truth to ourselves. But but the world doesn't see it that way. You just kind of buck up and you just endure. Now there's a there's a, a bit of tenacity to the Christian life. What you have to have. But but it's not just based upon some shallow bucking up and and just moving forward. I uh, just. Um, I googled some phrases, some motivational phrases about perseverance. And let me just give you some that uh, give you a few that I I found. One said today's mighty oak tree is just yesterday's little nut that held its ground. That's pretty good. How about this one? This is a 
a Japanese proverb, fall seven times, stand eight. Another one, if there is no wind, row. Now, doesn't that motivate you? I like what Spurgeon said this. He said, um, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. That's pretty good. But you know what? That, those kind of phrases, they only take you so far, right? I mean, that, that kind of fuels the hope just for a little bit. It's like throwing a little, few leaves on a fire. They're, they're gone in, in just a, a little bit. But perseverance, another one, perseverance is, is the art of hope. And that's good. Perseverance is just hope. It's learning how to think about these things and then fueling how you think and allowing that to to generate hope. And I believe that's the key. Endurance, perseverance. The key, it comes down to to one word and that is is hope. We have to have hope. That, That gives us the true mental energy um, to carry on. The, the willingness to, to, uh, sacrifice, that, the willingness to discipline ourselves, it comes down to, to hope. Not wishful thinking, I, I just hope so, uh, like, uh, th- maybe this will happen, but this is a confident expectation that this will happen. Th- that's the kind of hope that I'm talking about. Now the real question then is, how do we maintain that perspective? How, how do we fuel that hope? And we're talking not minute by minute and hour by hour, but, but decade by decade. How do we live in perseverance? Um, and it's not going to come to shallow little phrases and motivational speaking. No, it's going to come down to substance. Substance. And we're called to perseverance. But that perseverance has to be fueled by hope. And sometimes our hope, it ebbs and flows. It's up and down. It has to be fueled by something of substance. Something that's going to last. Something that's going to encourage us and motivate us. We have to speak truth to ourselves. It comes down to to truth. Really, um, I was just thinking about this. In the Old Testament saints, how did they make that? I mean, many of them didn't have the Word of God. It was just mostly uh, testimony from, from godly relatives. or They had very little revelation from God. We know that God built in to the Jewish culture times of celebration throughout the year, times of holidays that they would, that they would break from what their normal routine of the day and they would look back. They would look back to the faithfulness of God, what God has done in the past. And I believe that that fueled their hope. I I believe that that was one element and that was built into their culture by God. God wanted them to do that. And I think that's a good, it's a good thing. They, they look back, they see the faithfulness of God. One would be the day of Pentecost, right? That, that day when uh, the death angel passed over. It was a day of Passover. The death angel passed over the Jews. Uh, in in Egypt, or the the Feast of Booths, where, where they would actually they were supposed to go out, live outside the the little town that they were in, and it was a, a reminder that God protected them in the wilderness and while they were wandering there. Now, folks, that's a good pattern for us. 
These times of celebration, Christmas is coming up, and we need to be preparing our heart. And those times of celebration should be those, those breaks of routine, and we look back, and we look back at what God has done. And it's a time of celebration. We look back at the work of God, the promises kept from God, and, and this redemptive plan. And we're reminded, really, what it comes down to, of the, the character of the God we serve. And he is a faithful God. And that fuels hope. We have substance now. We have something we can actually build on. Build a life on. I want to do that today a little bit within this passage because that's what I think Isaiah is doing here. We're celebrating Christmas time. And many times I fear that we approach Christmas, we only see the, the physical elements of it. Uh, we, we look at, at Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, and, and, we, and they give us the, the Christmas story, and we, we know the picture and the manger, the, the innkeeper, the, the little shelter that they may have had, the angel, angels, uh, and the shepherds by the, the manger. We have, we have the, um, the animals may be placed in certain places there. We have the star. We have Mary and Joseph. And we have the baby. Anyone could put that together. We know that scene in our mind. But do we know the spiritual elements here? Do we know what is going on? If we just look at the physical aspects of the birth of Christ, that doesn't bring us a whole lot of hope. I mean, that's okay. That's good. We promote that. But we have to look at the spiritual elements of Christmas. What was taking place there? And if we fail to see the spiritual elements, folks, we're going we're gonna to miss out on hope and genuine encouragement in the Christian life. The, the spiritual, the physical aspects are not going to bring that. There has to be the spiritual element. And I believe that that's what, exactly what Isaiah is doing here. He is bringing the, the spiritual impact of what happened on that day, even before he mentions the baby in the manger, in verse 6. And like John, it's interesting, John, if you go to the Gospel of John, he doesn't even mention any of those physical aspects of the birth of Christ. He goes right to the, right to the spiritual element. In John chapter 1, he starts out, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Man, that's, that's high and lofty. That's the spiritual element here. That's what's really happening in the, in, the, um, in the reality of it. He goes on to say, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that is coming into being. In Him was life, and that life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it, did not comprehend it. And down in verse 9, he goes on to say, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightened every man. Now that's, that's Christmas. That's Christmas. And, and that's exactly what Isaiah does here. That's, that's, if we don't understand that we're gonna, we're gonna miss out, we're gonna lose something here. That's what, Isaiah does. He brings about the spiritual aspects of this, this Christmas season. And it looks, 
particularly at God's character. Now, even the best of times, even when things are are good, folks, we need hope. When there's a a lack of hope, there's a lack of motivation. There's really no meaning to life. There's discouragement and shallowness. We, We may even call it depression. There's a slack in our work. There's a tendency to wander from God. But the Bible is a book of hope. It's a book of hope. God gives hope. He God, God gives hope to mankind. He gives hope to those who are looking for it. Anybody that wants to note and, and take notice of it, it's there. We have no reason as believers to go around feeling hopeless. No reason at all, because we have a book of hope. From the very first chapter in, in Scripture... If you go back to Genesis just quickly, I'll just remind you of this little scenario. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were in rebellion against God. God comes down. They're hiding from God. And God comes. He uh, talks to them and finds them. And, and then he's dishing out punishment. Okay? Dishing out Punishment. Here's the consequences of your sin. Now, Adam, he's probably expecting immediate death. That was what was promised. You will, the day you eat from it, you will surely die. And he died spiritually, and he should have died physically right then. But then he begins to hear, and his ears perk up when he hears God talking to Satan. And he says to Satan, In verse 15, chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. And he will bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the hill. And Adam's ears perk up. We're not going to die today. That's a glimmer of hope. And he listens as Eve receives her punishment of pain and childbirth. And, and he receives his punishment of, of working by the sweat of his brow. Those are things that produce life. And yet, in those very things that are producing life, there's, there's, uh, there's uh, those things of punishment. There's pain and there's um, sweat of the brow. There's still hope. It's life. And, and so he, he calls... He says in verse 20, he says, Now the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all dying, all living. Now that's a sharp contrast of all dying, right? They should have died. But this contrast is, is there's life, and she's not the one who sold us into this slavery of sin and death. But no, she's the mother of life. That's hope. Adam had hope, and I think that came from, from God Himself. God is a giver of hope. He's a giver of hope. Now, just by way of introduction to this book of Isaiah, this is a book of judgment. And you wouldn't go to Isaiah looking for, for hope. You would go to Isaiah. You, he was a, a, a prophet and he was pronouncing judgment upon city after city. And this is prophecy of, of times of war and darkness and gloom and but like the book of Deuteronomy, there's little short, little snippets, little passages sprinkled throughout the book of, of hope, of hope. Now, there's a few things that you need to know just by way of observation. You, you have to know the context here. 
Isaiah is a prophet to the southern part of Israel. It's called Judah. And, and he was, again, dishing out punishment. He was warning, here's what's going to happen to you, uh, Judah, if you don't straighten up. And the kingdom had already been divided probably 200 years earlier. Israel, that northern section, the northern two tribes had already been carted off uh, to captivity. The ten southern tribes, uh, they were uh, being threatened by Assyria. Uh, king Uzziah, he was the king at that point. He was punished by God. He was actually a very successful king for 52 years. And he was very successful economically and militarily. But yet then he began to um, do things that only a priest should do. And he was being punished by God. And actually he killed. He was killed. And on that same year, on that same year, actually God killed him with leprosy. But on that year that he died, Isaiah came into the ministry. He was called into the ministry. And again, you you see these glimmers of hope. But yet, there's a downward spiral going on spiritually in this day. And it reminds me so much of what's going on in America today. We have so much success, and it looks pretty good on the outside. But folks, it's bankruptcy when it comes to the spiritual element. Another thing you need to know is this is Hebrew poetry. The first verse is is um, uh, just stories finishing up the the uh, story there, but then he jumps into Hebrew poetry, and I believe that this is a spiritual section that he's he's going into to tell us the spiritual elements of the the gospel here, the spiritual elements of of the birth of Christ. But you need to notice that the he and the you here are talking about God. God is the focus here. And really, it's, it's talking about specifically about God's grace and His, His, His character. And another thing that you need to notice here is that there's a progression. From verses 1 to 5, there's a progression up and it builds up to this, this climax in verse 6. And you need to, you need to see that. It's, it's gloom and doom and sadness up until Verse uh, and and actually it's gloom and doom and sadness, but that changes. And it's warfare, and it changes from glory to gladness to freedom, and you see that drastic change, and that causes us in our minds to ask the question: Why such a drastic change? We'll see those in the first five verses. But it climaxes to that. Why this drastic change? And then the, the climax is in verse 6. He says, For a child will be born to us. A son will be given. That's the climax. The word for there is the word because. These, this change is going to take place because a son is going to be given. Again, points to the grace of God. Points to what God is doing. His Redemptive plan at work here. So in this passage, and this is a passage that you know, you, you know these words. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You know that. Uh, it was part of uh, Handel's Messiah, right? That was the pinnacle. One of the, the greatest hymns that was ever ever written. This really, this passage is the Mount Everest of the Old Testament. It's the pinnacle of hope for the believer because it mentions the Messiah's birth. 
And it gives hope. Even, even in this book of warning, in this book of punishment, here's what's going to happen. God gives hope. And that kind of, the, these stories should fuel our hope today. Now, here's the point. The believer's hope is in the Lord, which is fueled by God's holy character. And the question is, how do we maintain hope? How do we keep on going? How do we be encouraged, especially in these difficult days? And Isaiah gives us, he tells us three things here. These drastic changes that will take place someday in Israel. And they demonstrate God's grace, but they also give us hope, give the children of God hope. Now, the first change here that we see in verses 1 and 2 is a change from darkness and gloom to light and glory. Look at verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he, that is God, treated the land of Zebulun, now notice that, Zebulun in the land of Nephthali, with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, uh, Galilee of the Gentiles, that would have been the northern section. They were carted off first. Remember that whole northern section was, was carted off uh, to captivity. And he mentions that, even specifically Galilee. Verse 2, he says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Now, this is futuristic. This is something that's going to happen in the future. And you see this drastic change from darkness into light. And you see Zebulun and Nephthali. Uh, they, were, they were in that northern section and they, were being, uh, they had been carted off earlier. But this verse was mentioned by Christ. This particular verse was mentioned by Christ in Matthew chapter 4. Turn over there, if you will. Matthew chapter 4. Just a, This is just the fulfillment of that verse is right here. And Christ says in verse chapter 4 and verse 12, He says, Now when Jesus heard that, that John had been taken into custody, He withdrew into Galilee. That's the same location, right? Into Galilee. Now we know Gal- Jesus grew up in that area. And it says, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea on the region of Zebulun and Nephthali. Verse 14, this was, in, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephthali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness saw a great light. And the people who sit in a dark land or a land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, you begin to see what's happening here, what the picture here. This is a picture of God's grace. And this is a picture of beginning of, of Christ's ministry here. And what does the light represent? 
The light represents Christ himself. Christ was that light. And his message would go forth and that light began to dawn right in this very place. This northern place of Galilee. This place that was under siege first, but it became, it became glorious. It became the first place that light fell. And that light, folks, is Christ, His message, His word, and that began to spread. He began His ministry right there. Do you understand the significance of that? It goes from, from darkness unto light. And what we see here, the character of God, is we see His grace on this people. He says, there's, there's going to be gloom and there's going to be doom and you're under God's punishment. But someday, someday, there's going to be light. I love what, uh, and it's a picture of God's grace. I love what Isaiah 42 verse 3 says, that a burning, uh, a bruised reed he will not crush, a smoldering fire he will not extinguish. That is the very character of the God that we serve, folks. He is a gracious God. He, he may punish. There may be times of punishment here in America, but He will be gracious. He is a kind God. He is a loving God. And, and He is so kind that He doesn't hold back and hold us in darkness. He, he doesn't hold back the light from us. He gives us the light. And that's exactly what happened at Christmas time, isn't it? Christ came into the world... But, but when he began to minister, that's when the light began to go out or it began to spread out. The light began to dawn and it began to spread. Now, folks, this this should give us hope. This is the spiritual reality of what was going on uh, at, at Christ's birth and, and the expansion of his ministry. We um, we love lights at Christmas time. And I believe that that's a, an appropriate thing for us to do is to, to decorate, to use those lights because we, we see the light of the gospel. We see Christ himself as light with the gospel and the word that spreads out. We went to, uh, to Bluefield a, a couple of, a few days ago to see the Christmas lights. And it was amazing. All the lights that, uh, that they had and all the time that they had put into these lights. But it's symbolic, isn't it? It's symbolic of Christ and, and the Word and the message of redemption. The Gospel has finally come to man, this message of redemption. God is a gracious God. And I love what uh, John Calvin says. Without the Word, there is nothing left but darkness. Folks, we would be in darkness but for the grace of God. And it was God's gift to mankind, to give His Son, not only to die, that was, that was part of it, but the this teaching and the spread of His Word, the Gospel, in a dark place. We celebrate the birth of Christ, folks, but do we walk in His light? Do we walk in His light? That's, that's the better way of, of celebrating. And there are so many people that refuse to walk in the light. When we have the light... The Word of God, the, the Gospel that goes out, but, but there's still so many people in, that are groping in the dark. You need to come to the light. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5 applies this for us. Verse 5 says, the, um, Isaiah 2, verse 5, he says, Come, house of Jacob, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Man, that's a good application. Folks, because of what Christ did 
bringing the light to the world. We walk in light. Folks, that gives us hope. That gives us hope. It points to the character of God. He is a gracious God. Number two, go back to our Isaiah passage. We see the, the second thing that this drastic change moves from Israel to all of the nations and it moves from sadness to gladness. Look at verse three. You shall multiply the nations. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. Now that's significant. As with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice with uh, when they divide the spoils. Now, notice that this, this is reaching again. You have to understand, this is the spread of the gospel. This is Christ's message as it, as it goes throughout the world and it moves not from just Israel, but moves to, to all of the world. It's fulfilling uh, those prophecies that God made to Abraham that I will make you a, a blessing to all of the nations. And, Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 22. And there's going to be gladness as a result of that. There's going to be gladness as a result of that. The light spreading, the gospel being received. But specifically, he says, they are, they will be glad in your presence. That's what Emmanuel is, isn't it? God with us. His presence. He came to earth. This is talking really, this, in the spiritual element, this is a relationship with God. This is a, a spiritual reality for the believer. The source of our gladness is this relationship that we have with God. You say, well, what kind of gladness, what kind of joy is this? Well, he, he tells us this. Um, there's, there's two illustrations that he uses. One is agriculture and the other is war. Uh, he says, as with the gladness of, of harvest, that time when the wheat is being brought in, there's so much of it in it. It looks so great. This is a time of rejoicing. When all those vegetables and, and fruits, they're coming in and the time of harvest. And then the time of war, time of victory. is War is over and there's victory. Uh, I've mentioned before that famous picture of World War II where the, the men... Or kissing the women in the streets. It's just a victorious. That's the kind of joy. That's the kind of gladness that he's talking about here. The source of gladness is, is the presence of God. That's just, again, the picture of God's, God's grace. The picture of God's grace. That we have a relationship with God. Christ says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But we have to put our faith and trust in Him. Again, there's people who refuse the joy of the Lord, refuse joy at this time because they're rejecting God. They're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. There's joy to be had, but yet they, they, they suppress the light, anything that would come through as far as light and revelation. And what we have to do, folks, genuinely... Put our faith and trust in Christ. We have to turn our back on our own sin and turn toward Christ, repenting of that sin and turning from those things. The real joy in the believer's life is not artificial. It's not some superficial joy. This is real gladness. This is real joy. And we don't have to look very far except just to our own salvation. Our own salvation proves the work of the Lord moving people from, from sadness to gladness. Let me give you one more, the one third little element here. We have a, a drastic change from bondage to peace, from slavery to freedom. 
And that's in verses 4 and 5. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their, uh, on their shoulder and the rod of their oppressors or their oppressor singular as at the battle of Midian. Now that's an important thing. We'll come back to that. An important battle there for Israel. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and every cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the for the fire. Now this is a picture picture of victory where there's peace. Wartime is over. This is a picture of of conquest. The 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 yokes have been broken. And that's a pretty sharp picture there. It's a symbol of bondage being broken and uh, the, the cloaks of war and the boots of war are, are thrown off and burned. Um, as in the time of Midian, as in the time of uh, this war that Adam or that uh, that Israel had with against the Midianites. Now, you will remember this, but remember Gideon? He started out with 22,000 men. And God says, okay, put them into this test. And anybody that's fearful, send them home. He, he winds up with 10,000 men. And then he tests them a little bit further. He winds up with 3,000 men. There's no way they can win any kind of battle. There's no way that uh, there would be victory. And God gave an unexpected victory here. Unexpected victory. And Gideon defeated this, this huge army. Now, this is a broken chain. This is, this is moving from, from bondage to, to freedom, from wartime to peace. And again, we see a character of God, His, His power. And in the context, I believe we're still in the spiritual element, the spiritual conquest. Now, that, that spiritual element is going to lead to physical peace on earth. But I don't think he's there yet. I don't think we jumped to that yet. I think he's talking about the yoke and the bondage of, of sinfulness. And the yoke and the, the bondage of enslavement of, of this sinful nature and the oppression of that sinful nature is going to be thrown off. And our slavishness to sin is going to be thrown off. I think this is talking, uh, painting us a picture of, of, the, of the, the power of the gospel to break. Power of the gospel to break the bondage of sin, sinfulness. Again, it points to the power of God. It points to the, the, to the character of God that He is a God that, that can do anything. Now, now, what does that tell us? How do we apply that just to our, our life? I think we apply that by putting our faith and trust in His Word. In the power of the Gospel. The most insignificant, Paul said, the foolishness of the Gospel preached. It's almost silly. You're just going to send one little baby, one little message, one little man, and you think you're going to change the world? Folks, we have power in the gospel, we have power to break the bondage of that many people find themselves in today. The bondage of, of America to sin and sinfulness. We have the power. And it's just in the gospel. And, and God has the, the power to, to change those things. To, to make this drastic change. 
And our hope has to be in the character of God. And His grace, His presence, and His power. And that fuels, folks, that fuels our hope. We look at what God has done and and we see it fulfilled in Scripture and, and it fuels our hope. We should never be hopeless without hope. We can trust God in the most darkest of days. He is a good God. He is a powerful God. Before we can appreciate the baby in the manger, before we understand all of the significance of those little things, we have to understand the spiritual impact. What God is doing the, the big picture plan of the redemption of man and that He sent His Son just with this single message that's going to scatter throughout the world and it's going to have dramatic change of sadness and gloom to happiness and joy. That's significant, folks. Our world, our nation needs that message. Needs that message. Our nation is under God's wrath. His passive judgment, I believe, His hand of grace is being taken away from our, uh, from His hand of grace is being taken away from our nation, I believe. And, and our nation is even losing hope. They're putting their hope in the wrong thing. But we as believers, we have hope. We can persevere. We can endure because we have this hope. And that hope needs to be flamed within us. The world needs to see that hope. Especially this time of the year. We have that hope. And we need to fan that hope. We need to fuel that hope with the passages like these of the Gospel. What God has done. And with God's gracious and powerful character. And that hope needs to be fueled so that the world can see it. Let me just leave you with this one hymn that we sing this time of year. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord who gives him, who gave Himself for me and paid the price of all my sins on Calvary. That's where our hope is. The last verse, he says, His grace has planned it all. Tis Mind, but to believe and recognize His work of love and Christ receive. Sometimes I, fa- I think we fail to see the work of Christ. We keep Him in a baby, this little baby form in a manger, and, and He came with power. He came with a message to, to conquer. We serve a gracious God. We serve a powerful God. And the world needs our message. It needs our message more today than than any other. And the world needs to see a people with hope. And we've got that hope, folks. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, I, I just pray that You would use it in our minds and our hearts as we go throughout this Christmas season. Lord, may we look beyond just the physical elements of the Christmas story. But the reality of what was taking place there. The the power of God 
Himself coming to earth and, and spreading, starting His ministry and spreading that good news of hope. Lord, may we, as people who have embraced that hope, may we, we fan that flame, may that hope burn brightly in our lives that a world will see and they'll say, what is that hope that lies within you? And may we be ready then and, and be able to share the gospel of hope. Lord, we thank you for sending your son. What a precious gift. What a precious gift that changed everything. Lord, may we see, may we see that. Maybe, may that be the reality of this Christmas. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.